I'm so glad you're here today. And uh, we begin a wonderful new series today called the Feasts of the Lord. And uh, these are feasts which God gave the nation of Israel to celebrate. And they contain truths about Jesus, uh, the future Messiah, and prophetic revelation about God's plan of redemption. So they're wonderful teaching tools they were for the nation of Israel and, and also for us, right? So um, when you got your bulletin today, you see there's a handout in it. I encourage you to take it out right now. Take that handout out. If you didn't get a bulletin, raise your hand and someone will get you one. Okay, there's a few people here. So um, you can see on that you're going to want to refer to that during this series because on that handout, it lists all the feasts of the Lord, all the festivals of the Lord. And you can see when you look at it, it's split into two groups. Another one up here, I believe. Uh, the spring feasts and the autumn feasts are what they're called. And the spring feasts are Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruit, and Pentecost. And then there's roughly a four-month gap during the year. And then the autumn feasts, Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles. Those are the three autumn feasts. And that four-month gap, if you look at the very bottom, it actually represents the separation between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. See, all of those first four feasts were actually fulfilled with Jesus' first coming some 2,000 years ago. Uh, these feasts deal with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as well as the sending of the Holy Spirit for the followers of Christ. <clears throat> the autumn feasts all deal with the events at the end of the age. These are yet to be fulfilled. And what they include are uh, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, and the messianic kingdom of Christ on earth. Besides the aspects of Jewish history that are associated with these feasts, because you know it talks about these in the Old Testament, it talks about them in the New Testament, God has a far greater reason for those feasts. And he's given these feasts to foretell in advance the work of his son Jesus Christ, and it, his death, his resurrection, and return. And what's cool about this is they're absolutely specific. Uh, even giving the exact days of the year in which the uh, feasts to, are to be celebrated and then when the events will be fulfilled, when they'll occur. We don't know the year, for sure. We don't know the year. But I tell you what, these feasts, um, the dates of the feasts are sure. And so the feasts will uh, speak of the total work of Jesus Christ uh, for mankind, and it's all laid out in advance. So my question to you as a group today is, should we celebrate these festivals today as followers of Jesus Christ? And why or why not? What do you think? The Bible never goes out of date. The Bible doesn't go out of date. Any other thoughts? It's a point of remembrance. It's a point of remembrance. Okay, well... I see you guys are a little shy about saying yes or no. So I'll tell you, here, here, here's our guide on this, right? Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus Christ. So we're not under any obligation to keep these feasts because they're a shadow 
of the reality in Jesus Christ. But as shadows or types, we can definitely learn from them. And there's many hidden truths in them from God. So we should study them. We should learn from them. And if we feel led, we should actually celebrate them too. But as I said, there is no compulsion for us to celebrate these feasts. In Leviticus 23, 1, 2, and 4, uh, Moses speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals or feasts, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. These are, jump down to verse 4, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed time. So as we look at that, there's two key words in these verses. The first word is the word feasts, or sometimes uh, translated as festivals, the original language, either one is good, feasts. And then the second word we want to look at is assemblies. Feasts, that Hebrew word is moed, and it means an appointment, time or season, or a festival. Assemblies, or convocations, uh, that Hebrew word there is mikra, and it's something called out, a public meeting or a rehearsal. So what God is saying here is he's setting up a fixed time during the year for these uh, seven festivals when the Israelites would be called to gather together to rehearse future coming events at a time when they were given this command of the Lord, all of them were in the future. So I have a question for you today as we look at the first of these, actually the first two we're going to look at today, um, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What was the reason for the Passover? That's when they came out of Egypt. When they came out of Egypt, right. And they the blood over the Put the blood on the door, right. The Lord passed over the families who had the blood on the doorpost, the chosen people. It was a way that God spared judgment on everybody, on those people who celebrated the Passover and did what God said. That's exactly right. So uh, Passover actually was yesterday in the religious calendar, the 14th of Nisan, if you know those months in the Jewish uh, monthly calendar, the 14th of Nisan. And um, Jewish people, uh, these days, they actually celebrate, if they want, on two different nights, on either side of that, on the eve of Saturday and on the eve of Sunday. So. What does the Bible tell us about Passover? It tells us that this is the most important Jewish festival. It is the holy day, the feast of redemption, that God redeemed his people. And it's also a feast about sacrifice. It was prophesied to Abraham some 430 years before it happened. Can you believe it? Think about 430 years for us, how far back that goes. You know, the 1600s, right? Um, so in Genesis 15, God says to him, uh, the Lord said to him, Abraham, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So he's prophesying to him about what is going to come. 
And in Exodus 6, many, many, many years later, hundreds of years later, God repeats that Abrahamic covenant and tells Moses to go to the Israelites and tell them this. Exodus 6, verses 2 through 8, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give, you, give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Lord God, we just pray this morning as we look at this uh, scripture, as we look at the Passover, Lord, that you would just show us all of the things that are in that for us, all of the meanings of all of the parts of it, Lord, that we can take and, and understand that they have meaning for us as well. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to look at your word and, and hear from you. Holy Spirit, be in this place this morning. Just guide and direct and apply these truths to our hearts as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So the covenant is the basis for the Passover, the covenant between God and the Israelites. That's the basis for it. That's why um, he says he's going to take them out of Egypt. He's going to bring them to the promised land. But they're in a bad way. They're in Egypt, and they can't go anywhere. They're slaves. They're being mistreated. And so God says, yes, I'm going to get you out of there. And this first Passover that uh, they talk about in the scripture, which we're going to read about in just a moment, is called the Egyptian Passover. Because obviously there's things about that that don't get repeated once they've left and, and they're out of Egypt. Um, later, what the rabbis called the Passover is the permanent Passover. And let's read the first Passover in Exodus chapter 12, reading verses 1 to 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So on the tenth of Nisan. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you must, may take them from sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of Nisan, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. 
This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. <clears throat> and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you for on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Day you are to commemorate for the generation come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Okay, well, let's stop there. And God is telling Moses here how they're supposed to celebrate this feast. Each head of the household is to take a lamb for their family, and if they have a small household, just a couple people maybe. You know, you need to gather together with another family. There should be between 10 and 20 people at these gatherings. And then you determine how much lamb you need. Like if you have all big adults, you probably need a little bigger lamb. If you have a bunch of little kids, you probably don't need as much because the point is you're only supposed to take about what you need. And they were to choose a year old male. It could be anywhere between one up to two years old. And on that 10th of Nisan, without any blemishes or defects, meaning it didn't have a wound, it didn't have like a big scar on it, it was supposed to be perfect, no blemishes anywhere on it. And the lamb was to be taken to their homes and cared for until the 14th. And when all the lambs then on the 14th were slaughtered, they were to take some of that blood and put it on the sides and on the tops of the doorframe of those houses where they would be living and eating the lamb. When the head of the family sprinkled the blood on the doorpost and on the lentils, the side and the top of the door, he was stating that he realized that his family stood in peril of death. He was uh, stating that his family, he and his family were therefore accepting God's means of safety for them so that the family would be delivered from bondage. And that same night, they were to eat the meat along with the bitter herbs and unleavened bread. They were to roast the meat and not leave any of it when they were through. They were, the leftovers had to be burned. And they were to eat it, it said, with their clothes and cloaks on. Their, in other words, dressed and a coat on and with their sandals on, like they're ready to run and go, and with staffs in hand. In other words, everything you need, you need to be ready when you're eating that meal to leave Egypt. And during that night, the angel of death would strike down all the firstborn of people and animals everywhere in Egypt, except where the blood of the Passover lamb had been applied on the doorways, <clears throat> because God said, I am the Lord. He said what he had proclaimed would happen. The blood will be a sign for you, he says. The blood is a sign. When I see that blood, I'll pass over you. I'll No destructive plague will touch you. The plague of death of the firstborn will not touch you if the blood has been applied to the door. Now what we see of this in Jesus Christ is this feast commemorates the redemption of the people of Israel from Egypt, from their evil taskmaster. And that's just like for us, how Jesus actually redeems us from sin and from the, the master of the devil. 
he redeems us and takes us and frees us from that bondage. They were to select a perfect lamb, lambs without defect on the 10th of Nisan. The cruel correlation here with Jesus is that Jesus entered Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan. It was a day to welcome visitors into Jerusalem in that calendar. People would line the streets, they would sing the Hallel, the psalms that are the Hallel 13 to 118. And the priests would bring the lambs into the city to the temple. They would have all these lambs that they would bring to the temple. And Jesus here is being brought into the city by the people, the triumphal entry. The people here are choosing Jesus. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're proclaiming him that he is the Savior. That is from a psalm where it talks about the future Savior. They are choosing Jesus on the 10th of Nisan. Uh, Matthew 21, 7 to 9 says, They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This day is the day that we celebrate as Palm Sunday in our calendar. It's actually really the 10th of Nisan. It should have been several weeks, uh, several days ago, right? So anyway, uh, it, it's choosing Jesus here as the lamb. Part of the week of Passover is also the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that second feast that you see there. Remember when I was reading what uh, God told uh, Moses, he said you're to eat only unleavened bread. Well, this unleavened bread, with this, all the leaven, all the yeast is cleared out of the house. If you have any bread with yeast in it, you have to get rid of that too. And that's why the Seder meal uses unleavened bread. The matzah bread is because this is during that time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So let's read what God says about that in the next few verses here. Verse 15, for seven days you are to uh, eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your household. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. So, uh, the symbolism here of the yeast is like sin. The yeast is like the sin. The house is like our lives. He's saying, get all the sin out of your life. It's a symbolic thing, totally symbolic. And even Jesus, when we look at the, what is going on in Jerusalem during this time, during this day, Jesus is even cleaning out the leaven, the sin from the temple after he entered Jerusalem. In Mark 11, 15 to 17, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. So he had to clean out all the sinfulness of the temple. He cleaned out the leaven of the temple. So then, <clears throat> at this time, on this day, the lambs for Passover were brought into the city and into the temple. 
They were inspected by the priests. And then the devout people would actually take that little lamb home and tie him to the bedpost and keep that lamb like it was a little uh, pet almost and take care of it and feed it and, you know, brush its fur. And they would, uh, you know, that had to be hard then on the 14th to give it back and have it be slaughtered for for their sins. And the priests here on the 10th of Nisan also inspect Jesus. Uh, as we see in Matthew 21. So he's just driven out all of this stuff out of the temple. And then it says, when he entered the temple courts and was teaching, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And then it goes on and describes the situation. And actually, it's like they can't find fault. They can't find fault. And the priests are examining Jesus here to see if they can find anything wrong, and they can't. In Matthew 22, 34 to 36, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Okay, they failed. Now we're going to have to try. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And we know the rest of that story where the man says, Yeah, um, you've given a good answer to Jesus. And they couldn't find anything against him because he is the perfect lamb. There is no fault in him. Even later during that trial before Jesus was hung on the cross in Mark 14.55, it says the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they could not find any because he is sinless. He is perfect. When Pilate examined him, he even proclaimed this. Luke 23, 13, and 14. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. I find no fault in him. Jesus then, three days later on the 13th, of Nisan has a Seder on that evening. That's a day you can also have a Seder. And the day before the lambs were slain. And the Passover, or the Seder, included the following foods. Unleavened bread, like we mentioned about unleavened bread. It was also called the bread of affliction. The affliction of the Jewish people under Pharaoh. They had this as they left uh, Egypt. It also represents the Messiah. Jesus was afflicted, pierced, and bruised, and if you look at the matzah cracker, matzah bread, you see there's a bunch of little holes poked in it, and then there's the brown, the scorching from being in the oven, and it re- represents what Jesus did for us, the, the bruising, the, the piercing, all of the things that he went through. Another food on the Passover plate is the bitter herbs. This is usually horseradish, and it represents the bitter experience of the Israelites in Egypt. It also represents the bitterness of sin. Then there's parsley and salt water. Parsley or some leafy green plant, and it's to be dipped in the salt water, and the salt water represents the tears of the Israelites, the tears of the slaves. It also represents for us our tears in dealing with the sinful, uh, sinful world in sin in our own lives. The roasted shank bone that's on the Seder plate represents the Passover sacrifice and therefore represents Jesus. 
Then there is a roasted egg. The egg represents spring, like a new beginning, but it's also roasted because it's like a sacrifice. When it's roasted like the lamb is roasted, it's like it's sacrificed. Then there's the haroset, which is a thick applesauce-like mixture that has nuts and brown sugar mixed in with it and, and ground down so it's almost like a paste. And this represents the mortar that's used by the slaves in building the bricks. It's the difficulty of life under the darkness. So that's the same for us. It represents the difficulty of life under darkness. And then finally, in the meal, there's the Passover lamb, and it is brought to the temple and sacrificed. Then the meat from the lamb is brought to the homes and roasted over the fire. This fire is made of pomegranate wood, and there's this wonderful uh, fragrance as it burns. It's roasted over the fire, and the interesting thing is you can even go online and see how they prepare the lambs. They prepare them with their uh, a slit down the middle. The inner organs are pulled out, and the front legs are held out at an angle. Does that remind you of anything? <laughs> of Jesus on the cross with his arms outstretched. It's such a definite, definite parallel of the lamb that was at the Passover meal versus the Lamb of God hanging on the cross for us. There are also four cups of wine served as part of this meal, and what each one represents, and we'll go through it here, they would drink the first cup of wine, and now these are small cups, they uh, would drink the first cup of wine at the beginning, and the first cup made the uh, correlation that God was saying, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And after the first cup, everybody would wash their hands. And they would, uh, it was a customary prayer that they would say. And this is evidently after this first cup at the washing of the hands, that's when Jesus went and washed the feet of the disciples in celebrating that Passover meal. Then the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread, and the haroseth are eaten, and also that roasted egg. And that roasted egg represents a voluntary peace offering. So Jesus, as we're reading the scripture, we see that he takes a portion of the bitter herbs with the unleavened bread and he dips it into that haroseth. And after thanking God, he eats a small piece and then he gives to the others to eat as well. And this is probably when Jesus dipped the bread in and said to John, the one whom I give this piece of bread to is the one who will betray me. Then the second cup of wine is poured and drunk. And the second cup represents that God says, I will free you from being slaves to them. After which, an explanation in the celebration of the Passover meal, even now, an explanation is given in accordance with what is commanded in Exodus 12, 26, and 27. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? And you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. Then at that point, the first part of the Hillel is sung, Psalm 113 and 114, and then the Passover, the Paschal lamb is eaten. So this is like the main part of the meal, this Passover lamb, and they're eating this. And then after that, a third cup of wine was poured and drunk, and this is the cup that Jesus connected with his supper, with the Lord's Supper. This third cup means I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And this is the cup that we use when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. 
And after this, a fourth cup is poured and drunk, and the rest of the Hallel, uh, the Psalms 115 to 118, are sung. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body. And then he took the fourth cup and offered it to them and they drank. And that cup represents, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And it's said by the uh, Midrash Rabbah, which is a book that is like a commentary on the Torah, and the Megillot, which is like the whole Jewish scriptures, this commentary, the Midrash Rabbah says, these four cups actually fulfill the verse in Psalm 116, verse 13, which says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So then after this fourth cup, when Jesus and his disciples are celebrating, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And as we know, uh, in that time, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying here with his disciples until Judas and that crowd, the angry crowd, come and arrest Jesus. During that night, then he's given a, a kind of a sham trial with false witnesses and eventually was sentenced to death on the cross the next day. So that evening before the Passover is when he was arrested. The next day is the 14th of Nisan. And Jesus was hung on the cross at 9 a.m. on the 14th of Nisan. What is going on at the temple at the same time is that the lambs are now on display at the temple. Matthew 27, 48 and 50, Jesus has been hanging on the cross here for a while and immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out, Again, in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He called out loudly, and he gave up his spirit. And Jesus died, it tells us, in the ninth hour, at 3 p.m. on the 14th. That's the same hour that they blew the shofar at the temple and then slaughtered the lambs on that 14th of Nisan. And the blood then is sprinkled on the base of the And the uh, soldier, remember, put the spear into his side and out came blood and water. It sprinkled the blood on the base of where he was being sacrificed. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for us. His blood is the salvation for all of us. When we receive what he has done for us, when we accept God's means of salvation, the plan of salvation that God had, when we accept that, we are made spiritually alive in him. The Passover was not only a sacrifice, it was a celebration of God's provision for salvation for everyone. It became later the basis of what is known as the law of the peace offering. And in temple days, Passover was understood as a feast between God and man. Uh, the peace offering always followed the sin offering. And it's a picture of our fellowship with God. In Numbers 10.10, 10, it says, Also in the day of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, at the beginning of your month, you shall blow the shofar, the trumpets, over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. 
They shall be a memorial for you before God. I am the Lord your God. Jesus crying out in that loud voice is like the blast of the shofar. And then he died like the sacrificial lambs in the temple were slaughtered. Jesus then died and was slaughtered for us on that cross. He is our peace offering. He creates peace between us and God by his death when we, and his resurrection. When we receive that for us, there's a peace between us and God. Uh, today, as we are looking at this, I thought, let us celebrate communion as never before to totally understand what we are celebrating, how it fits in with everything that God has done. Jesus Passover lamb, when we accept what Jesus has done for us, by dying on the cross, he pays the penalty for each of our sin. There is no longer a need for Passover lambs to be slaughtered. The final Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, died on a cross for us and then was resurrected from the dead. And we can live in that fellowship with God because of what he did for us when we receive it and when we make that part of who we are. We have that fellowship with God, that peace with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. We are reconciled with God. That means that any difference has been taken care of. Any sin has been taken care of. We don't have to live the perfect life. We stand as Jesus before God. God looks through Jesus to see us because Jesus stands before God with our sin when he died on the cross. He stands in our stead. So today, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Just as in Exodus 12, where the children are to say, what do you mean by the service? We should ask ourselves, why are we doing this? What do we mean by the service? It's a sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ who delivered us from sin and gives us salvation by his death on the cross. Romans 7.25, thanks be to God who delivers us, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I am myself in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So God has delivered us from being slaves to sin by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. So as we take the bread from the bottom of the cup, Mark 14, 22 says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Pastor Steve, would you please pray for the bread for us? So, Father, we thank you today for the sacrifice you made for us. We thank you, Father, that you were willing to allow to have your body broken, bruised, beaten, the punishment for our sins. Father, we also rejoice in the fact that your word says it's by your stripes. Those Amen. stripes, that yes. wound you bore, Lord, it's by your stripes that we are healed. Yes. So, Lord, today we thank you for healing mm -hmm. that's available to us through this gift. Yes, Lord God. And so, Lord, today, no matter what we have going on in our lives right now, Lord, maybe we need emotional healing or 
physical healing, Lord, spiritual healing, Lord, today we we want to we lay those wounds, we lay those needs down at the foot of your cross, and we claim healing in Jesus' yes. precious and holy name. Amen. Let's take a breath. Mark 14, 23 and 25 says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out, sprinkled for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Pastor Jacques, would you please pray for the cup? Father God, we just thank you for your son Jesus that died for us, Father. We thank you for the blood that was shed, um, that uh, because of his blood being shed on our behalf, we no longer needed to uh, offer animals because his sacrifice was perfect and yeah, not amen. for us to save us. And Lord, we thank you for the the washing of our sins because the, your word says that when we're being washed by his blood, we become white as snow. Father, we thank you that everything that we need is in his blood because with his blood that was shed, we have the victory today. Lord, we thank you and we pray, God, that each and every day that we live for you, Father, we would remember the sacrifice that was, that was paid for us. And through that sacrifice, we have everything that we need, Father. May we continue, Father, to live our life in a way that would bring you praise and glory, Father, because we have this, the victory that we need through your Son's blood that was shed for us. Mm -hmm. We thank you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take the cup together. In the account of the Lord celebrating the Passover with his disciples, it says after they had finished the last part of the Passover feast that they sung a hymn and then they went out. What they were singing was the last Hallel, those psalms that are considered Hallel means praise. And so what they were doing was praising God. And I don't know if you have Psalm 118 or not, but... Uh, that's the one that says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. I encourage you, I'm going to say something you to say his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Let Israel say, let the church say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, let the pastor say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, let them say, his love endures forever. Lord God, we thank you that your love endures forever. And we can look at this Passover feast and we see so much of what you did for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that he lived a sinless, perfect life. No one could find fault in him. He was the perfect lamb of God who was crucified on that cross, who died for us and shed his blood for us so that we have the perfect sacrifice. We no longer have to try and figure it out every year. We can come before him and 
accept that. Just like they were saying that they accepted your means of safety and salvation. Lord, we accept your means of salvation for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for all that we have in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You were willing to go to that cross and die for us, and that we have now um, for us, the penalty of our sin has been paid. And we can live that life that you give us the power to live through the Holy Spirit, through the power of being in relationship with you. We can live our lives, Lord, working that out, to work out our salvation, to become sanctified, to become live holy, grateful lives for what you have done for us. Lord God, I pray that we wouldn't take it lightly, that we wouldn't think it's just a thing, that we wouldn't just think it's grape juice and crackers. Lord, that we would see that it's symbolic beyond anything we could have ever created, Lord, that you gave such a great sacrifice for us, that when we receive that, we have that peace between you and us through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray we would live lives that show how thankful and grateful we are, Lord, that we don't have to do it just like that video before the service showed us, Lord. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to try and work it out. We just receive what you have for us. And Lord, I thank you that in the scripture it says after they ate the Passover meal the first time in Egypt and they walked out, there was no one feeble among them. Lord, you healed them. And so, Father, we claim healing for each of us that need healing today. Lord, those people who have cancer, people who have uh, physical ailments, people who have infection, people who have other things that are not right, people who need emotional healing, people who need spiritual healing. Lord, we claim that over us today. We receive that healing. By those stripes, we are healed today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for all that you've given us. And we don't have to work at it. We just have to receive it. Thank you for the gift of salvation that we have through you. Help us to walk that out this week. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.